your four-year-old can discover the joy of learning. Waterford Upstart is a proven effective pre-K learning program that includes fun songs, games, and activities that prepare your child for success in school. We provide all the tools you need to help your child learn to read, including a coach, a computer, and internet access. And because it's already paid for, it's free for you. Listen, uncomplicate the way you do pre-K. Enroll today at waterfordupstart.org. In the heat of the moment, you're not just keeping it calm, you're keeping it cool, too. With an ice-cold cold brew, and not just any cold brew, but one that's slow-steeped and mixed with brown sugar and molasses flavor. With a cold foam infused with brown sugar coolness and a cinnamon sugar sprinkle on top. That's keeping it calm, cool, and cold brewed. With Dunkin's new brown sugar cream cold brew, America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Terms apply. Hello there, welcome to another episode of This Week in History with me, your host, Dan the Viking. This week we are covering a story that I would assume majority of people have heard. Whether you've heard of the story, I'm almost certain you'll have heard of the name. Uh, this week we are covering not the band, but Archduke Franz Ferdinand. And we have a guest on to tell us the story um, and hopefully teach you a little bit more about uh, the man and the history behind it and possibly some few things that you don't know already. So welcome to the show, Dad. Yep, no problem. Thank you. So what do you want to know? Right. I mean, <laughs> <Should> we... <laughs> I mean for especially in the UK, um, we learn about the assassination. Uh, spoiler alert there, by the way. Um, we learn about that. We learn about that it was... Um, the reason behind the first world war um, we learn about the there are many other reasons and this was sort of like the straw that broke the camel's back sort of thing rather than mm. the actual uh, the thing but we you know we we don't touch on anything about him anything about the um the history behind it or even the fact that he was pretty much a nobody as well he was you know the equivalent of our duke of york or something do you know what i mean just a nobody royal yeah. But yeah, so when we don't know a huge amount about we don't learn a huge amount about him, but we just know the name and obviously the band who took on. Mm-hmm. So do you know what his name was? Uh, I don't, apart from reading it on, apart on the from screen reading right it, now. No, I didn't Reading actually. it on the notes. Okay. Um, his name was Franz Ferdinand Karl Ludwig Joseph Maria of Austria. Right. <laughs> Okay. You know they're posh when they've got more than one name. Oh dear, yeah, certainly are. Right, so what do we know about him? Well, he was born on the 18th of December 1863, which for your American listeners was in the American Civil War. Yes, yes it was. <laughs> it was, wasn't it? Hmm. So, well, um, and obviously he died uh, 28th of June 1914. Yes. So, shall we start? 
We'll start at the beginning. Go start on. at the beginning. All right. Uh, Europe's had a history of empires right on from Roman times right through to modern history. And the one that we'll concern with in this particular podcast was formed in 1867. Uh, it was between the Austrian Empire and the Kingdom of Hungary. Yes. The Austria-Hungarian Empire was a multi-international state in one, and was one of Europe's major powers. Mm -hmm. During its time, Austria-Hungary was geographically the second largest country in Europe after Russia. Yeah, we sort of think at 621,538 um, 621, square kilometres. Which is not little, then. No. no. 239,977 square miles. And after the Russian and German empires, it had the third highest population in uh, Europe. Right. So populated is much bigger than the British at the time. Well, I oh. suppose it wasn't bigger than the British Empire at the time, but mainland Europe. Cause, yeah. But yeah, it was obviously we didn't have anything in mainland yeah. Europe. So... We? What was Europe actually like in the 1900s? It had been peaceful for a considerable amount of time. There'd been conflicts, but on the whole, there'd been small scale, especially with what was going to come in yes. late, later. Tensions between France and Germany were running high, but they always have done. And it wouldn't be wrong to say that the actual French hated the Germans. And that's probably down to the fact that the French lost the Franco-Prussian War uh, July 1870 to January 71 so eight French months. make a good habit of losing wars to be fair yeah <laughs> and they had to concede German speaking area of France to Germany right uh, in particular they also uh, resented the imposition of the reparations they had to pay to Germany which at the time was 5 billion gold francs that's equivalent to 479 billion francs now and they had to wow. do they had to pay that money within five years because they lost within five years yeah so wow. um let's say to put it into perspective that would probably be 63 billion pounds or 89 billion dollars in today's money yeah i'll say yeah we don't use they don't use the francs anymore do no. they so, bearing in mind that a billion has nine zeros... Not a little amount, is it? It's not a small amount. But the, the French, in fairness to the French, they actually managed to pay it um, ahead of schedule. Uh, but the memory of having to pay it really, really got to them. And, mm. and in the time since, Germany had become one of the most influential and powerful countries in Central Europe. And Germany formed an alliance with Austria-Hungary, and yes. that was in 1879. They were later joined by Italy in 1882, and the union became known as the Triple Alliance, probably because there were three of them. Yeah, well, kind of makes <laughs> sense. See, that's I find that strange, because Italy actually joined on the side of the Allies in the First World War. <laughs> so that's a bit strange, but... Yeah. Um, and basically, in simple terms, it was an agreement between these countries to come to assist the other in the event of one being attacked. So realistically, it was an agreement of mutual defence. Yeah, it wasn't really... Yeah. There wasn't much to it. Now, France, because they were, to put it in better words, pissed off with the Germans, 
feared that the alliance had the potential to be just a little bit more than defence. So they entered into an agreement with Russia. Okay, makes sense. And that became the Franco-Russian alliance. France's main concerns were to protect themselves from Germany and to regain the German-speaking area of France that they'd had to give to them. And Russia believed that France would help them modernise their industry. The Tsar was all involved in everything else. Yeah. So during the 1890s, Britain decided that its policy was going to be one of isolation and focus primarily on defending the British Empire. Well, I wish they'd stayed that way. (laughs) Well, they didn't, though, did they? By 1900, Britain had become increasingly aware of the potential threat that Germany was, and isolation became no longer a real option. Now, Britain decided it was in need of allies in Europe, and a union with the Triple Alliance was the preferred option. See, that's strange. But then, to be fair, at this point in history... We didn't really have any conflict with Germany. No, we've always had, up until that point, we'd always had conflict with uh, with France. Yeah, and I'm just trying to find something. I, I saw um, earlier on, on online, it was a picture around this time of the nine kings of Europe. Because Europe had a Europe, major yeah. sort of yeah. royal family at that point. Yeah, yeah. and it was, um, if I remember, I haven't got the picture now, so I'm going to do this from memory, but it was uh, Norway, Britain, Germany... Austria-Hungary, the Tsar of Russia, Portugal, Denmark, and one other. Spain, I would have Spain, thought. Spain, that's the one. Yeah. Yeah, and it was the nine kings of Europe. And obviously, Britain being quite a royal country, wouldn't have wanted France who have just gone through, I mean, the French Revolution. They had the Revolution. French Revolution, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, they, they were, probably weren't. So yeah, I can understand why France wasn't our preferred option at that point. Well, yeah, of course. And that was uh, that was the way it was going. Now... The thing is, Berlin totally ignored the British. So uh, London, although they wanted to join the Triple Alliance, weren't actually allowed to do it. The Germans just didn't didn't even bother to answer. Hmm. So, what's the next option? London turned to Paris and St. Petersburg, and they created an agreement and an arrangement with France, and this was in 1904. And then the agreement brought in Russia in 1907. Now, this alliance was called the Triple Entendre. Which is basically the same thing, but in French. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So so you've now got the stage for World War I. Yes. Yeah. Now, the Austrian-Hungary Empire had a large number of areas that weren't too keen on being part of that area, of that alliance. Mm Mm-hmm. And one of these parts was Serbia. There were a number of sort of protest groups. Well, they'd be protest groups now. They were like a little bit more than that. Yeah. Uh, in in uh, around that time, and the Unification or Death was one of these organisations, and that's what they were called, Unification or Death. But they're better known nowadays as the Black Hand. Right. Okay. Both um, quite. Nasty names, really. Yeah. Uh, it was a secret military society formed in 1901 by officers in the army from the Kingdom of Serbia. Mm-hmm. And the society formed with the aim of uniting all of the territories within this South Slavic majority. So you're talking 
Yugoslavia, Croatia, Serbia and all of that, that sort of area. And it was basically a violent terrorist organisation. Right, okay. So, so, so there are terrorists in those days as well. Yeah, they were, they were sort of against the, the empire that they were part of. That's correct. Kind of well, happens in in all empires, really. It's not. This isn't you know just specific to this. We the British had uprisings throughout every part of their empire. Hmm. <laughs> oh look, yeah, you look We're at the Yanks in seventy yeah. six. <laughs> um, you know we, we all and, get and, uh, and the Indian the Indian uprising yeah. in the eighteen hundreds. I mean, so, yeah, they they called the Americans um, terrorists, weren't they? They were terrorists oh, yeah. at the time. So yeah, it's uh, so anyway. They're not going to like that now. And this that. particular black hand group uh, were actually instrumental in the assassination of king alexandra and queen draga of serbia and that wow. occurred on the 11th of june 1903 and that's when members of the group broke into the royal palace wow. um, the king and queen tried to escape through a secret passage in the queen's bedroom but the entrance was covered by her wardrobe and they just so they just hid inside the wardrobe uh, they were found shot cut up and then thrown from a second floor window, and that's the right. king and queen of the country. So, and that's you know, you know just over a hundred years ago. So you're not talking like that. Sounds to me something really barbaric. But mm. Yeah, you, when you think of revolutions like that, you think of the American Revolution, the French Revolution. You're talking three hundred plus years ago, mm. not not a hundred years ago. So, oh that's yeah, quite a and and, and and to cap it all, when they f- threw them from the window, they they landed in a manure pile brilliant yeah so the the black hand organization had a a subgroup called the young bosnia Mm -hmm. and that's going to have a big part to play in what's what's to come right Mm. remember that name people yep young bosnia now this podcast is about archduke ferdinand yes yeah so what's what do you what do you think an archduke is well, I mean, a duke in this country is, uh, like I said, Duke of York, uh, something like that. I mean, he's probably the mm, worst. Yeah, one. remember the, the worst one. one to pick. Yeah, to be that's, that's the one. currently, yeah, yeah, probably but, not. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's like a senior member, but realistically has no chance of getting the crown. Yeah, near enough. Um, the title Archduke and the female equivalent Archduchess. Mm-hmm are titles used by senior members of the ruling dynasty of the Habsburgs. Right. And they ruled the Austro-Hungarian Empire. And it's it's a, a higher rank than a duke or a duchess. Okay. So you've got, like, duke, and then above them you've got an archduke. Right, okay, that yeah? makes sense. Now, Archduke Ferdinand was never actually born to rule. And, and to be honest, he didn't. No, he didn't. He didn't last long enough. <laughs> um, it was his father, his father's older brother, uh, Emperor Franz Joseph the First of Austria, who ruled the empire, and his cousin, Crown Prince Rudolf, who was the heir apparent and the next in line. So, Crown Prince Rudolf is like would be like Charles, Prince Charles. Yeah, yeah, the the the, the, the next in line um, to rule the empire. Now. Franz Joseph I, uh, he ruled from the 2nd of December um, 2nd of December 1848 until he died on the 21st of November 1916, which actually makes him the sixth longest reigning monarch of all time. 
Queen Elizabeth, our current queen, yeah. is only fourth in recorded history. Fourth? Yeah. Wow. Uh, she's been there on are, the throne for She's been on the throne years. for a long time. She is the longest living yes. monarch. But there's one that was in Thailand, and you're talking sort of China, Thailand, and that, that area, where they became the ruler when they were almost babies. Right. And then, yeah, ruled until they died. So, But our Queen Elizabeth is currently the fourth longest serving in, of all time. Wow. And Franz Joseph was the sixth. Now... Crown Prince Rudolf was the third child born to Franz Joseph and his wife Elizabeth, and he was born 1858, and neither of his older sisters could rule, so he instantly became the heir, and he was educated to fulfil this role from the age of six. At 22, he married Princess Stephanie of Belgium, but it wasn't the happiest of unions, and within two years, the pair had drifted apart. Um, although they stayed together, Rudolf started drinking, having affairs, and, and it was, to be honest, much to the disapproval of the uh, the emperor and his wife. Not really acting royal. And not really acting right. royal, no. He even asked his father if he could write to the Pope and get his marriage annulled, which, <laughs> funnily enough, was totally refused. Yeah. Um, the situation continued until 1888, which, funnily enough, is the same year as Jack the Ripper. Oh, yeah. So it is. <laughs> yeah. Um, the Crown Prince men met Baroness Alexandra. Um, now, I'm not 100% sure on how to pronounce this, but I think her name would be pronounced as Baroness Marie Alexandrine Frien von Vetessa. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Sounds well. It sounds like it's written. So. Um, she was only seventeen. Okay, <laughs> he was thirty-three. Yeah, okay. uh, she became one of his mistresses. Three oh. months after beginning their relationship, <laughs> it ended kind of dramatically. No shit. <laughs> um, the crown prince travelled to a family hunting lodge on the twenty-ninth of January, eighteen eighty-nine, in order to have a day's shooting. The next morning, Wednesday, the thirtieth of January. The Crown Prince's valet and his shooting partner, Count Joseph Hoyos, went to wake him up. They couldn't open the door. Okay. That's bashing on the bedchamber door and they couldn't they couldn't open it. They got forced to break in. In the room they found Rudolf sitting at the side of the bed with a little bit of blood coming from his mouth. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. His mistress was lying on the bed and uh, she'd been shot in the head. Right. <laughs> okay. Okay. So the heir to the throne of the Austro Hungarian Empire was actually dead. And um, history's recorded it as a murder suicide, but the incident became known as the Mayerling incident after the name of the lodge. The murder suicide conclusion was reached mainly due to the fact that an actress, Mizzy Kaspar, who was another mistress of the of Rudolph, um, disclosed a month earlier that he'd mentioned a suicide pact to her, which she had declined. And it was known that he'd been struggling with depression. Uh, so, here you go. His mother, the Empress, uh, she mourned the, her son for the rest of her life until 
she was murdered in 1898 by an Italian who stabbed her with a small file while she was uh, getting on a, a steamship in Geneva. But this has relevance Quite to brutal history to, to really. France Duke Ferdinand. Yeah. Okay. Because of the death of the Crown Prince, it left the empire without an heir. As a result, the succession of the Austro-Hungarian Empire now passes to the Emperor's brother, who is father of Archduke Ferdinand. Right, okay. So very much like our situation we had in the late or the early 1900s when the Queen's uncle decided to vacate the throne. Mm-hmm. But obviously he didn't have any heirs and then... Yeah, so yeah, it, so so it, it went. Didn't our it? queen, like I said, was never born to be queen, was she? Mm. So, the father of Archduke Sorry. Ferdinand would become the emperor upon the emperor's death, which at that point would make Archduke Ferdinand second in line. Second in line. So, he became the heir apparent. <laughs> to be honest, like his cousin, he'd never actually rule. But, but the the fact that he was. He's now been put into that position means that this story has a lot more merit than it would have done had that not have happened. Because obviously if Franz Ferdinand was never going to be in line to the throne, no. then this may not never have happened. No, that's right. Well, uh, Archduke Ferdinand was a, kind of an interesting character. Uh, at the turn of the century, he fell in love with Countess Sophie of uh, Kocek. And he started courting her, much to the displeasure of his uncle. This is because Sophie was the lady-in-waiting to Archduchess Isabella. And um, and it's, it's unknown, really, where Sophie first met the Archduke. But it could have been at a ball in Prague in 1894. That's the consensus of a lot of historians. Right. Um, and Franz Ferdinand had been stationed in Prague during that time. And after the ball, Franz Ferdinand started to pay frequent visits to the Halpburton Castle, which was home of Archduke Frederick and his wife Isabella. So it was assumed that that's when he fell in love with, with her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, the relationship was discovered by the Archduchess Isabella herself when she discovered Franz Ferdinand's locket laying on a tennis court. She opened it, expecting to find a photograph of her daughter, and instead it had a photo of Sophie. Right, okay. The maid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he's not, he's not following what he should no. be doing. So that starts a major scandal which had the potential to completely screw up the ruling family. Um, and because of his position, Emperor Franz Joseph told Ferdinand he couldn't marry Sophie. The reason that which he gave was she could never become an empress, i.e. the consort or wife of the emperor. Yeah. Well, you find that a lot throughout history, though, don't you, where um, mm. you know, where the royal family are told they can't marry who mm. they actually fall in love with. Well, that's right. And, uh, and to be honest, the, 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 the royalty of, of the time um, basically dictated that to be an eligible consort of any any member of the imperial house of Habsburg Lorraine, uh, one needed to belong to one of the reigning or formerly reigning dynasties of Europe. Well, Sophie didn't. 
That's why they say keep it in the family, don't they? Yeah. Um, so after considerable pressure from within the family, and include and that included uh, Franz Ferdinand's stepmother, permission was finally given for him to marry Sophie, which he did in 1899. But there were conditions. And yeah. those conditions were that Franz Ferdinand was allowed to keep his title and position as heir to the throne. The marriage was to be uh, morganatic. Uh, a morganatic marriage is well, like say it's a left-handed one. You know, it's weird. Well, it's one. It's actually one between people of unequal social rank, and prevents the higher-ranked person's position or privileged privileges being passed on to his spouse yeah, or any of the children oh so potentially this could have been devastating so if he had become emperor he could his children couldn't have been could, yeah nope in the case of france ferdinand and sophie she would never ever be allowed the touch, title of archduchess mm -hmm. and any children could never have a claim to the throne so her title would be uh first in von hohenberg which is basically Princess of Hohenberg. That's still a pretty good title, though, isn't it? Yeah. Despite this sort of thing, public life wasn't good for her. Court protocol and strict etiquette rules meant she was not allowed to ride in any royal coach with her husband. At the entrances to formal events, she had to wait until all the higher-ranking women had made their entrance before she could enter and join her husband. In 1905... The emperor upgraded her title to that of duchess, which meant she could then be addressed as her serene highness. Okay. She's still an outcast. And she's still not archduchess, so she's still. Oh no! Even though her husband's second in line to the throne, she's not. She's not there. It also meant she could be referred to as duchess or highness. Yeah. Mm. Uh, but it's still not on a par with her, her husband. No. You know, but it did make her. Her, high, her highness, yeah? And it made everything less socially awkward, to be honest. Yeah, I can imagine. Must have been awkward. Still, uh, the protocol prevented any of the royal courts from hosting the couples. They couldn't be invited to anything. Oh, really? Wow. <laughs> you know, they were real outcasts. Even though he was the heir apparent to the throne, some did. <laughs> what invite him yeah yeah i can imagine uh, george v and queen mary of britain and the uk was one of them and they came to the uk from the 2017th to the 21st of november 1913 where they stayed at windsor castle all oh, right That's where the but queen is now while all this was going on uh the percentage of Bosnia remained opposed to the rule imposed by the Austria-Hungarian Empire and they wanted to be part of neighbouring Serbia. So now you've got the stage. So now we can actually talk about what actually happened. Yeah, we know what we know. We've caught up now. <laughs> yeah. Okay, 1913, Franz Ferdinand accepted an invitation of Bosnia's governor to inspect army manoeuvres being held outside Sarajevo in June the following year. As Inspector General of the Army, this made the visit logical, and it was realistically about time because they, you know, they were. It'd been four years since uh, any member of that royal family had paid a goodwill goodwill visit to Bosnia. <laughs> so they'd avoided it for, yeah. for four years. 
Okay. Yeah, you uh, can understand why they avoided it for four years, really. Well, yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, it coincided, funnily enough, it did coincide with his 14th wedding anniversary. But while his wife, Sophie, wasn't permitted to ride in the same car as her husband back in Vienna, it didn't apply to a provincial city like Sarajevo. Right, okay. So Sophie would actually be able to ride beside her husband in the car. And that was a thoughtful anniversary gift that he decided he was going to do. Brilliant. Well, how easy would that? I'd love to know. Uh, this is your this is your anniversary present, baby. You can ride in the front. That'd be ace. You wouldn't have to well, remember they anything. They rode in the back, didn't they? No, yeah, but you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you can get in my car today. You can get in right. my car today. <laughs> it's brilliant, isn't it? But sure that's, that that's the way things are. And it took them six months to actually plan the visit to Bosnia. Um, even though... It was well known that there were large elements of the population that wanted independence and there was always going to be factions that would use violence to get what they wanted. Ferdinand himself actually said during a conversation, it wouldn't surprise me if there was a Serbian bullet waiting for me. Oh. <laughs> that was during the sort of build-up to it and everything else. I mean, as plans were being made for the uh, visit, plans were also being made to assassinate him. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me, to be fair. I mean, the Black Hand had recruited three young Bosnians. Now, I've got their names written down because I'm going to try and pronounce them. I'm not going to do very well, but we'll do what we can. You'll get one right, because it's the... What, Gavrilo Princip? Yeah. yeah. Everyone knows that one. Yeah. Nigelko Kabravinovic and Trifko Grabes are the three. And they were selected for the task. Now, because of its many government and army members, the Black Hand's activities were known to the Serbian government. So when the Serbian Prime Minister, a gentleman called Pasic, became aware of the assassination plot, he had a little bit of a dilemma. Hmm. So the Serbian government now know that there's a plan to assassinate Archduke Ferdinand when he comes to visit. Right. Yeah. Okay. If he did nothing and the assassination happened, it would be impossible to deny yeah. uh, the Black Hand's involvement. Mm-hmm. And the link between the Black Hand and the Serbian government would put his country in a very difficult position. Yes. Just a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So he's sort of caught between a bit of a rock and a hard place. And that may bring on a war with Austria. Yeah, which they don't really want. Uh, But if he warned the Austrians about the plot, he would be seen as a traitor by his fellow countrymen, and this would leave him to having to acknowledge a greater knowledge. Mm. He's stuck. Yeah, because the the, the Austrians are... They were powerful. It was was the third biggest empire in Europe. So, you know, know, having this... You've got a little tin pot country like Serbia. Yeah. You know, on the outside. Mm. It's it's not not good. You you know, and also if they know about an assassination attempt, it's, it's almost plausible to believe that should he have blown the lid on it, he would have been next on the hit list. Yeah, very possibly. So, So, what did he do? Sure. (laughs) He uh, made an attempt to intercept the three assassins um, at the Bosnia-Serbian border. Mm-hmm. That didn't go well. 
It didn't work. No, I can't imagine it did. Um, so he then made this decision. He would try to warn the Austrians in vague diplomatic ways that would not expose his knowledge of the Black Hand. Right, okay. Yeah. So he dispatched a minister, Jovan... Uh, I think it's Jovankovic, I think yeah. that's how you pronounce it. Um, uh, and he dispatched him off to Vienna. Uh, first of all, it was the wrong person because Jovankovic was known in Austria and he was known to be sympathetic towards Serbia, so anything he was going to say was going to be ignored. <laughs> but, you know, he met with the uh, Austrian Minister of Finance and his words, it might be a good idea if Franz Ferdinand were not to go to Sarajevo. <laughs> yeah, that's a warning. I wouldn't call that a warning. That's just no. a... You know, Maybe um, something like wear a bulletproof vest just in case would have been uh, a little bit better. Uh, some young Serb might put a live rather than a blank cartridge in his gun and fire it. Okay, that's, so that's, not, ex that's pretty... not exactly subtle or diplomatic, was it? But no. um, the uh, the minister just completely missed the warning and said, "Well, let's hope nothing happens." And nothing else was said. Wow. <laughs> so, I mean, that's pretty big enough of a warning to me. If someone said to me, don't go there because somebody might shoot you, <laughs> I think I'd be going, guess where I'm not going. Guess where I'm not going, yeah. yeah. Anyway, the three assassins made their way to Sarajevo a month before the visit, and they recruited four others. So you've now got seven. Mm-hmm. They were given four pistols, six hand grenades. Okay. Uh, and they were given by the Serbian army. Oh, right. So this is... <laughs> the, yeah, okay. the Black Hand had army members in it okay. and high-ranking army members. They really didn't like them, did they? No, they really didn't like them. Now, Franz Ferdinand and Sophie arrived in Sarajevo earlier than expected and they arrived on the 27th of June, 1914. And they spent some time just basically wandering around the city. Okay. So, so it'd, be, it'd be like the American vice president just going off to uh, some foreign country and just wandering around just aimlessly. Yeah, and if she just had death threats, I'm pretty sure she would. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not exactly. You know. so, He's got balls. I'll give him that. Um, but on that day, in the evening, around uh, they, they there was a banquet in their honour. Right. The following day, at 10 o'clock, the Archduke and the party left the army camp where Franz Ferdinand had performed a brief review of the troops. Okay. And security was not tight. There's nothing like it was like it would be nowadays. Mm. But Franz Ferdinand didn't like the presence of Secret Service men about, and he certainly didn't want a cordon of soldiers between the crowd and himself. So there weren't any. Okay. Now, from what all the research that I did, there only appears to have been the city's 120 police officers on duty. Okay. And only 36 covered the route. Were they armed police officers? They would have been, yeah. yeah. So there were six cars in the motorcade from the army base. Mm-hmm. Uh, but only five of them had passengers. The sixth car in the line was empty in case of a failure with one of the other five. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. 
This is we talk, we're talking they 1900s. They're not very reliable cars. Yeah, they weren't the best cars, were they? Right, but they were still cars. All the cars were open top. Okay. And the Archduke and his wife travelled in the third car. They're sitting in the back of the third car. Yeah. The car itself was a 1910 Graf and Stift 2832 double Phaeton 31.5 horsepower. It ain't a very powerful car. No. For the time it was, but it's not a powerful car. <laughs> but at the time, the Habsburgs didn't use their own vehicles when they went to visit anywhere. Right. So they didn't take their own vehicles. <laughs> what they did is they sourced them locally. They borrowed somebody's car. <laughs> Which, considering you're going to a country where they don't particularly like you, it'd be very easy to strap something to that car. It would be, yeah. Yeah. But they did take their own driver. Oh, <laughs> yeah, well, again, again, you look a driver in a car that they don't know is not is not a good idea either. That's it. The Archduke's driver had never driven one of those cars previously. And the route down to the town hall takes uh the motorcade down a place called the Apple Key, which is on the north side of the river. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is where the seven assassins were. They're all all the assassins were spread out, so you've got crowds waving flags. You know, like yeah. the, the the air of the empire is is coming down the road in a motorcade, and you're going to wave at him. And yeah, you know, there's no police. When I hear motorcade, I think of JFK, but I'm assuming it'd be a similar situation. It's a similar situation, yeah, but they the weren't. But, they, but but there's no police there there's 36 police mm. you know there's seven assassins in the crowd yeah. but they're all spread about okay so as the motorcade passed the first assassin he just stands there and doesn't react he just basically freezes and so the cars carry on mm-hmm. unaware that they've just been that close so as they approached the second assassin nedelenko don't worry about he, <laughs> he steps forward towards the car yeah. Now he's dying from TB and he's got nothing to lose. So he lobs a hand grenade at the car. Right. Um it's 10 past 10. The, the the actual hand grenade hits the folded up roof on the back of the car behind Ferdinand and Sophie. Yeah. And it bounces off onto the road. Unfortunately, the fourth car goes over it and it explodes. Right, okay. <laughs> This injured 20 people in the crowd and put that fourth car out of action. The assassin thought he'd succeeded, so he takes the cyanide pill that he's been issued and jumps into the river. So he basically turns around and jumps over the wall into the river because the road is running alongside the river. Okay. Hmm. That doesn't do him any favour because the tide was out, the river was shallow, and the pill didn't work. Brilliant. So he gets nicked. Yeah. Which, for your American listeners, arrested. arrested. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he's taken into custody. Having escaped an attempt on the Archduke's life, the driver stuck his boot down and went straight to the safety of the town hall. Mm-hmm. Totally going past the remaining five assassins. Yeah. So, once in the town hall, they continued as normal. They had the meal. The Archduke read a speech. Um, but he, the speech he read had blood on it 
because it was in the fourth car. Wow. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, you, that's weird, isn't it? You think of that. Yeah. Uh, but having done all that, the Archduke now changes the plans personally. Because at that point, it does look like they've pretty much got away with it, doesn't it? Yeah. So what he decided to do, he wanted to go and visit the people that had been injured in the hand grenade attack. Right, okay. And he wanted to go to the local hospital to do it. So the plans were modified to allow for a little bit of a detour. But the person updating the Archduke's driver had been injured in the assassination attempt. So the person that was supposed to update the driver Didn't. was in the hospital. Right, okay. Okay. So nobody told the driver. Driver's name was uh, Leopold Lojka. Yeah. 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 Uh, so at 10.45, the Archduke and the Duchess left the town hall. They returned to the seats in the back of the open-top car that they'd arrived in, with Sophie sitting behind the driver. Uh, the car was a right-hand drive. They drove off back down the Apple Key, which is the same road that they'd previously been attacked on. Now, it appears that all of the assassins, like most of the crowd, didn't realise that they'd seen the car go past, and that's it, end of story. So they've all gone. They've all gone. Yeah, so given up. All except one, and that was Gavrilo Princip. He decided that he was going to remain in the area, and he was going to go to a nearby calf for either a sandwich or a coffee. Okay. So. The motorcade travelled along Apple Key in the opposite direction to which they'd first turned up. Uh, and the first two cars turned into a road called Franz Joseph Street. The third car followed them. The third car is the one that has Sophie and Ferdinand in. Yeah. Governor Piotrek, who was sharing the third vehicle with the Imperial couple, he calls out to the driver to say, stop, he was going the wrong way. Right, okay. So they've turned into a side street and a driver's been shouted at to stop. So what does the driver do? He stops the car. He goes to put it in reverse, but because he's not familiar with it, he stalls the car. Yeah, which happens. Guess where it stops? Right outside. Right outside the cafe where Gavrilo Princip was standing. The assassin steps forward... Raises his pistol before he gets held back by members of the crowd. The first bullet went through the car door, hit Sophie in the stomach. She immediately collapses unconscious onto the legs of the Archduke. The translation of the Archduke's words are Sophie, Sophie, don't die, live for our children. I'm not going to do the German version. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> She never regained consciousness. She died within 15 minutes. The second shot went past the Duchess and hit Franz Ferdinand in the neck, opened uh, a vein in his neck. The question was, is your Imperial Highness suffering very badly? And the Archduke's final words were, it's nothing. Because he's more concerned about his wife. Obviously. Yeah, yeah. Est estis nicht. Yeah. That's the last words he said. And he said that a number of times throughout the car ride because they, the, the driver he went for the, the, the nearest place, which was the governor's residence. Sophie died from the bullet. Archduke died, died from blood loss. So 
the murder of the heir to the Austro-Hungarian Empire and his wife created shock across Europe. There was a lot of sympathy for the Austrian position. Within two days of the assassination, Austria-Hungary had most of the facts and they were fully aware of Serbia's involvement along with that of the Black Hand. And along with their allies, Germany, they made an official request for a Serbian investigation. Yeah. Serbia replied, the matter doesn't concern us. And this, coupled with other minor incidents, caused Austria-Hungary to declare war on Serbia. Mm-hmm. Which makes sense. Russia sided with their ally. Which is Serbia. That activated the alliance... And the First World War began. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Makes it's, sense. It's a result of a wrong turn and stalling a car. And luck. Yeah. And the fact that the Serbian government didn't have the balls to actually stop it when they had the chance. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, in my opinion, it, it was the most devastating event of the 1900s, if not almost the whole of history, because without the murder of the imperial couple there'd have been no First World War. Yeah. With no First World War, there'd be no Treaty of Versailles, which mm-hmm. was... Which the, is when everyone yeah. fucked over the Germans. Because of no Versailles, there would have been no rise of the Nazi party, so there'd have been no Adolf Hitler. Yeah. There'd have been no Adolf Hitler, there'd have been no war, there'd have been no Russian Revolution, no Cold War, 20th century would have been different. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could even go as far as saying... Um, you know, if you you talk about the 1900s and and America's involvement in the First World War, um, America was a very very small military company uh, country. You go into the Second World War when America joined in the Second World War, they were the 18th largest army in the world. Consider that to today, where they are the largest army in the world. Would they have gone on the on that rise of? They wouldn't. A, they wouldn't have needed wouldn't as have big needed a, to, as, you know as bigger mean? military. No. Those two shots yeah. have caused so much grief and hassle and history. Mm. Major, major, it, major. The history would have been so different. So we got questions why. Why was the visit of Archduke and Duchess publicised in such details? It was actually, the actually itinerary was published in a, no, in a newspaper weeks in advance. Stupid. But then again, I suppose you'd, you'd think... Being in that sort of a position, I mean, I mean, you're talking what second in line to the throne, so you're talking now he's the equivalent of Prince William. Mm. When Prince William does his tours, he goes places. The, the, the itinerary's published. Yeah, you know, but people, not the, but not the times. You know, he will be down, going down this street at ten o'clock. I don't know. They they when uh, they came to Grimsby. And um, we we were told where Kate was going to be and where she what road she was going down. Oh, right. But it just seems very I mean, very strange to me. A little bit different. No one in Grimsby wants to kill him. So <laughs> you know, I mean, it's only I mean, happened once. Like in, they've come to Grimsby, but why why was the security so lax? Thirty six police officers, Cause no soldiers. Didn't care, did they? They just didn't realise. Do you rec- I I personally think the war was already being planned. Mm. Austria-Hungary wanted an excuse to have a go at Serbia. Yeah. So we'll never really know. But I just kind of think there might be a bit more to it. Yeah. I think the war was going to come, whatever happened. I do think, yeah, I do think the war was 
there was a lot of tension and there was a lot of problems and going on. Like you said, you, you've got a lot of issues there. Even the fact that Britain and France were allies, which had never happened prior to that. You know, Britain had never been allies with France until the 1900s. Mm. We hated them for over a thousand and years. The car. Yes. And the gun used by uh, Gavrilo Princip are actually on display in Vienna. That'd be pretty cool to the see. The bullet that killed the Archduke and started World War One is actually was recovered and is housed in a museum in the Czech Republic. Gavrilo Princip avoided the death penalty because he was uh, he was too young. Right. How old was he then? I don't honestly know. Must have been in his teens, yeah. He got sentenced to 20 years in prison. Doesn't really seem fair, does it? Not for all the grief he caused. During his time in prison, he was initially changed, chained to a wall in solitary confinement. He caught tuberculosis, which basically... He was, he was 19 when he killed the Duke, just checked. Oh, well, there you um, are. But yeah, so that's, that's an age where you know what you're doing, though, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Um, he, he contracted TB, which ate away at his bones, especially his right arm, which had to be amputated. What a shame. <laughs> yeah. He died on the 28th of April, 1918, three years and ten months after the assassination. And at the time of uh, his death, he weighed six stone, four pounds, basically 88 pound. Huh. Oh, so they... It's- so all right, so he was he wasn't he missed the death penalty, but they died anyway. They pretty much killed him in prison. Yeah, just um, like Jeffrey Epstein. <laughs> uh, yeah, but fearing <laughs> fearing that his bones would become relics for um, Slavic nationals, he got buried in an unmarked grave. That happens a lot throughout history, though. That's um, you know I don't know if you heard the episode of um, Cromwell. Mm. Did you see the one with Cromwell's head? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's what they did with him. They they just buried him where you can't find him now. I'll leave you with a thought. Go on. It might only be a coincidence, but the number plate on the car that the Archduke was riding in was AIII118. Yeah. When you look at it, it says AL111118. That's the day the World War One ended. The 11th, the 11th, 1918. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? <laughs> Do you think they planned that though? Because I, I always say, like, <laughs> no, maybe, I don't think, I don't think with, they planned the end of the war. <laughs> I think they did. I've, I've always said that because I had um, a query. Someone was saying uh, one of one of my listeners was saying something obviously about what they've read on what's going on in this country and things like that. And they sent me a message and I said it's nowhere near as bad as what they're making it out. Like your media is telling it a lot worse than what it actually is. Um, and I said, but. They they have a tendency to do that the media, um, but I I said the one thing I will never trust is a government that uh, they knew the war was you know, the first world war they knew it was going to end they knew it was going to end but yet they still sent men to their deaths for months knowing that the war had finished the peace had been sort of drawn up the war had been ended but they I think they waited for the right day to do it but they were still sending men to their deaths for weeks mm-hmm. before. And I just, but there you go. But yeah, so that's a brilliant. Story. The assassination of Archduke Ferdinand is the result of a wrong turn and a stalled car. Yeah, it's quite a lot of uh, a lot of pain. Yeah, caused from just one gunshot. Hmm. But there you go. Hmm. 
very, very interesting. I thought that was brilliant. Personally, I thought that was a... Like I said, I knew bits and pieces about Franz Ferdinand. Um, You know, I've obviously done a little bit of research on this. And it's not something that you know a huge amount about. You know, it's not something that's that's really publicised. And like you said, considering that this is the gunshot that changed modern history, basically. Well, yeah. Um, so I think uh, I think it's very, very interesting. I think it's definitely something that people might have learned something, especially bits and pieces that, like I said, even myself didn't know from this episode. So mm. There you go. Yeah. Like I said, we, we love having you on anyway. <laughs> so if you enjoyed that episode, let me know. Drop me a message. You know how to do it. You can do it on Facebook. You can do it through email. You can do it through... Uh, no, they're the only two options. You can do it through Facebook or you can do it through email. Email is twihpod at gmail.com. You can do it through Facebook, which is This Week in History on Facebook. You'll find us on there. Or you can be extra nice. You can join our Patreon, uh, which is $5 per month. And you'll get access to all of these shows, minus those annoying adverts. And you will have access to the extra shows as well. So thank you for joining us this week, Dad. Um, definitely have you back on very soon for another one because I know you've got a few things ready for us, haven't you? I have. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, thank you for joining us. And remember, we all have history. Make yours great. Bye-bye. In the heat of the moment, you're not just keeping it calm, you're keeping it cool too. With an ice-cold cold brew, And not just any cold brew, but one that's slow-steeped and mixed with brown sugar and molasses flavor. With a cold foam infused with brown sugar coolness and a cinnamon sugar sprinkle on top. That's keeping it calm, cool, and cold brewed. With Dunkin's new brown sugar cream cold brew, America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Terms apply. Welcome to America. The land of junk sleep, where it's bedtime, but you're double booked. Here, there's always one more deadline to meet, episode to watch, or meme to share. The world may not want you to sleep, but we do. Only the sleep experts at Mattress Firm can help you find the right bed at the right price. Unjunk your sleep. In-store or online at mattressfirm.com today. Finding the right person for the job isn't easy. Just ask someone who hired a drama coach to be an IT guy. Yeah, I'm having trouble logging in. I'm not buying it. Say it again. This time with feeling. I can't log in? Come on, man. I want to feel your struggle. But if you've got an insurance question, you can always count on your local GEICO agent. They can bundle your policies, which could save you hundreds. Now, like your life depends on it. I can't log in. Yes, we'll make an actor out of you yet. For expert help with all your insurance needs, visit geico.com slash local today. When you love riding a motorcycle, you want to ride it everywhere, even getting a dental checkup. Mr. Carter, wouldn't you prefer the chair? I'm fine on my bike, Doc. Well, let me know if you feel any discomfort. And when you love saving money, you want to save even more. That's why GEICO makes it easy to bundle your motorcycle and car insurance. All done, Mr. Carter. Remember to brush, floss, and lubricate your drive chain regularly. Kickstart your savings with GEICO Motorcycle. Bundle and save on the things you love.